Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 28 and 29, Foreign Forces Intervention in Africa and the Future of Counterterrorism. to have a look at this topic not only from a security perspective but also from the economic aspect and the power dominance we have today with us aman bezre hi aman welcome to the podcast hello Kar, how are you thank you so much for having me thank you very much likewise we are great to have you uh, in the on the podcast oh, uh, and i believe yes <laughs> and i believe like mm-hmm. you have been also quite busy with this topic i mean we follow your post uh, on linkedin uh things are very much insightful from your opinion it's pieces it's quite busy with all the yes. nature uh, yes absolutely <laughs> definitely yeah and i hope we will extend this conversation uh, throughout the podcast yes but before we start with the podcast um, i mean you have a really an interesting background like you are a political and intelligence analyst you are a prime exactly. uh, journalist as well uh, in a way so exactly so i'm a you... political risk consultant yes. and a journalist yes so can you tell us briefly about your journey uh, you know starting from your education and you know what inspired you to actually take a step towards this sector uh, primarily you know even focusing on a critical areas right. like counter terrorism as well of course so of course for the people who don't know me my name is Eman Bizri I'm a Syrian journalist based in London uh, I'm also a political risk consultant and I worked for several companies as an advisor um on on sub-saharan africa my main interest is jihadi activities and ct operations before that uh, when i was based in syria i was also covering the war there and this is how i got into journalism initially i studied literature and drama but uh, drama studies but that uh, when they with the when the rebellion happened i switched uh, lanes and got into journalism uh, and i continued doing that after arriving to london but focusing on africa all right that's an interesting background uh, especially the part of syria Uh, I believe oh, like you. you were inspired to actually, you know, uh, take this path uh, because I believe as as much as I have, uh, I know and the kind of people I have met uh, in this segment, uh, they are, you know, always inspired, uh, especially if you go to the Wharton areas, you, your perspective changes, you know, completely uh, while It's, reporting for things. It wasn't much of an inspiration as much as it was uh, an obligation. Um when when you when you see a rebellion unfolding and a civil war unfolding unfolding in front of you you yes. have to do something about it you have to yes. talk, you have to talk about it you have to document what's going on so this is how i yes. got into it i felt like there's an obligation for me to uh tell the people tell the world 
what's happening in real time. Yes. So this is how I got into it. And uh, obviously, after after a while, you build expertise and you start passing your expertise on to other journalists or other activists who are also operating yes. in uh, con countries uh, in, in war or work-afflicted countries. Um, so it's more of, uh, of an obligation rather than an inspiration. Uh, I hope that makes sense to you. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, thank thank you for giving an extended perspective on this. And I <laughs> and I right. yeah and I really hope uh, best wishes for the people who do such reporting. You know, on site, uh, it's firstly it's a risky job. Absolutely, it's getting it's getting more more and more difficult yes. now uh, for activists and journalists to report on events. Uh, and there there's also. Um, more surveillance surveillance technologies that make them at risk so i always yes. even when i'm doing that kind of work i always uh, i always keep in mind that although they might not know the risk that these sources they or activists they might not know the risk they're at i know so i have to be responsible for their safety yes. um so that's something also journalists uh, everywhere in in western countries specifically should be aware of and should be yes. held accountable when any uh, source get affected by their reporting this is something something that we have seen actually uh, yes. in africa where um, a big media uh, outlet uh, conduct interviews and and eventually get sources affected by these interviews sometimes killed this is something I've seen in Mali, but we're not going <laughs> to discuss this yes. now. Um, yes, yes. No, sure, definitely. Without any delay, I would like to jump directly into the topic. A uh, little bit of similar uh, conversation that we just had. Uh, so how have foreign military interventions in Africa impacted the region's security landscape and the overall counterterrorism efforts? Of course, I mean it's uh, it's quite interesting to be discussing this topic at this time, as we're seeing all this polarization and and fragmentation in Africa at this uh, historical moment. So as you probably know, we have the uh, ECOWAS, uh, the Economic Community of West African State, um, attempting to reinstate uh, the uh, president Muhammad Bazoum, uh, who uh, just last night was accused of high treason for cooperating with foreign countries and international organizations. And by foreign countries and international organizations, they probably the coup leaders, Janta, uh, probably refer, uh, refer are referring to um, uh, the French uh, uh, and and on, oper on Operation Barkan specifically. Um, so it's 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 an interesting time to see that's happening, um, and although now in Niger we are drifting uh, farther away from the military uh, invasion that invasion that ECOWAS was threatening with, um, there's still uh, the country Niger is still in a in a dangerous zone, um, and we might witness a Nigerian-led intervention in Niger or a military action against Niger. That will be probably uh, supported by uh, the French. Um, but to go back to your question specifically, uh, foreign intervention in, in Africa had significant impact on the region's security landscape. Um, but the but the effects can vary uh, depending on the uh, the country or depending on the specific form of intervention that the country has conducted so 
Um, there, there are, however, some general trends and consequences that can be observed. Um, I'll give you an example from yes. um, Rwanda. So um, before, maybe before getting to Rwanda, maybe let's let's look at the trends. So in some cases, uh, foreign military intervention could increase instability and uh, proliferation of conflicts. Um, and we're talking here about specifically intercommunal conflicts that are rife in, in, in Africa. Um, in, in other cases, they could exacerbate an uh, existing tension and, and because the foreign forces could take sides uh, or could create the foreign intervention, could create power vacuum that leads to more violence and insurgency. Uh, and now, like, let's look at uh, Operation Turquoise, for example, in Rwanda. Um, um, the the operation it was very controversial and it was accused of taking sides i don't know if you remember that that was back in the 90s uh the yes. french were uh, being involved accused of being involved uh, in conducting human rights or um or facilitating human rights abuses by supporting the perpetrator from a specific uh, ethnic uh, group um, uh, the operation was also accused of smuggling warlords and war criminals uh, to neighboring countries, also from a specific um, ethnic group. Um, but to talk about more recent examples, um, let, we can we can talk about Mali and the French intervention. The French intervention in Mali have actually started by Operation Serval and uh, continued with Operation Barkhan. Uh, and it was an intervention that was requested from the Malian government um, uh, back in 2013. Um, but however, that intervention did not really uh, stop insurgency or even limited. Um, so uh, just to give you a context on on how, why the French were inter had to intervene in Mali, uh, there yes. was a rebellion and there was a rebellion in 2011 by the Tuaregs, uh, uh, an ethnic a nomad ethnic group uh, residing in northern Mali. Um, but that rebellion was hijacked by Islamists, uh, 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 also some of them from the Tuaregs. Uh, eventually, in twenty end of 2012-2013, some uh, jihadi groups uh, affiliated with Al-Qaeda, um, where especially the movement for oneness and jihad in West Africa, uh, took over the north. Uh, so they occupied northern Mali, and therefore the Malian government had to request the uh, French uh, uh, help. Uh, and before and without that uh, intervention, probably Mali would not be looking the 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 way it is now. Uh, it would probably be uh, similar to Afghanistan, uh, but that intervention have ended uh, the occupation. Um, the thing is with that French intervention that it did not have a strategy for um, the, it did not have an exit strategy from this country, which led to all the uh, unfolding drama that we are seeing now. Um, if we if we look at the uh, Operation Barkhane um, achievements, we can say that 
yes, the foreign intervention have, especially in the case of Mali, was able to uh, uh, achieve specific goals uh, or important goals. So Operation Barkan was able to eliminate jihadi leaders, uh, important one, key jihadi leaders like the Emir of Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghrib, for example, or the former Emir Abdul Malik uh, uh, Drukdel, and also the founder of ICE branch uh, in Mali and later in the Sahel, Abu Walid al-Sahrawi. However, this uh, operation, the French operation, failed to contain um, jihadi activities. Um, in fact, uh, and a lot of analysts would probably agree to this, we are seeing an increase in the jihadi operations and activities. Um, uh, not yes. just now after the withdrawal, but even before that, uh, therefore, the French operation now, Operation Parkan, is very controversial. Controversial, and some uh, some media outlets, some analysts, uh, are accusing it of having uh, failed to achieve its goal goals. And um, I mean, um, just last week, I think the uh, the minister of of French armies had to actually. Uh, issue a statement saying that Operation Warkan was not a failure. So can you imagine the uh, level of criticism that Operation Barkan is receiving even after the withdrawal to the point that the Minister of Foreign Affairs has to, the Minister of, of uh, Armies has to defend it. Um, we're also seeing like after the uh, uh, after the foreign intervention of or, or Operation Barkhane's uh, intervention in Mali, we're seeing also uh, an increase in the level of resilience uh, among the jihadi groups. So because of that foreign intervention or the 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 the, op the way that these city operations were conducted, the jihadis on the ground, um, we're seeing them changing tactics. They're shifting their operations. They're um exploring new routes yes. to be able to conduct their operations or even <clears throat> expanding their uh, operation to new villages um and uh, even find new ways to finance them themselves uh, and also to uh, avoid uh, detection they are embedding themselves further in the community uh, which in a way is making jihadism more difficult or impossible to eradicate in these communities okay. um so although to like to to sum it up or bring it all together although operation barkan was able to um uh, eliminate or neutralize the way this is how the french describe it uh, their operate the, the the killing of of leader neutralize or eliminate uh high ranked leaders they did not the operation did not um, end the jihadi activities. Okay. The other point that I would like, sorry, do you have anything to say? Yes. So the thing is like, I mean, you have covered now the political aspect uh, or the political motivations uh, behind the foreign countries, you know, deploying uh, military forces in Africa. Uh, but are there any other motivations like, for example, like China has been penetrating African region, primarily for the economic yeah. aspect. Uh, so um, can you also tell us yes, like what I are think, the key motivations of foreign Yes, I will, I will probably get to that, but just a few points on the relationship between uh, foreign intervention and jihadi groups. If I could like have yes. some time just to highlight it, that would be great. Yes, yes. 
okay, yeah, you can proceed, so, Adia. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so also when it comes to um, the uh, presence of uh, foreign forces, um, we have to bear in mind that whenever they are in any country, although they are doing good uh, in most cases, so in some cases, um, their presence create a pretext for recruitment. Uh, I'm talking here about jihadi recruitment, especially in marginalized communities, because having having a foreign power with uh, capabilities and arms and weapons on the ground, uh, operating between uh, among uh, these communities uh, in Africa creates this idea of having an external enemy that doesn't look like them, that doesn't believe in the same belief system. They have different belief system. Uh, there's also the uh, propaganda that says they are here to steal resources, etc. You know, etc. So the jihadis exploit that part to recruit uh, uh, young people in their ranks which in a way feeds into the uh, global um, uh, jihadism um, the also the presence and, and i'm here i'm talking about operation parkan specifically the presence of operation parkan in in mali have created also a, human, a humanitarian crisis uh, and i'm not talking about the direct targeting of of uh, uh, of civilians or 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 having civilians as collateral damage to an operation um i'm talking here about um, um empowering one, one community over the other uh so in mali for example there are communities that cooperate with the french and these communities of let's say i'll give an example like the dawsahak for example tuareg dawsahak who cooperate with the french these communities are systematically attacked by is uh, militants in the sahel um so constantly the, the group the is group constantly attack uh, camps belonging to dawsahak killing them and this has been uh, actually an issue in Renica region in Mali for quite some some time actually since uh, in, in May last year uh, approximately probably 150 um, 1,500 uh, 1, civilians uh, were killed. Um, in some cases also the foreign intervention um, can open the door uh, for regional spillover so some some operations that were conducted in Mali were pushing uh, jihadi groups to a new area. Um, so if if let's say an operation occurred in Menaka on border with Niger, that operation would lead some IS militants to withdraw to Niger. So in that way, it creates a regional spell spillover. Um, uh, and gives the uh, gives these the jihadi groups uh, an opportunity to uh, to um, exploit exploit the the weak uh, governance structures in 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 border areas to to regroup or, or even expand their activities. Um, yes. But and um, yeah, this is the overall uh, consequences of foreign uh, uh, forces intervention. So although although Operation Barkhane's um, intervention was requested, however, and let me put it in informal terms, I feel that the French have overstayed their welcome, and they did not have 
an exit strategy and therefore now we are seeing all that rise in anti uh, anti french sentiment in 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 africa and specifically in the sahara region and that um, and that sentiment that negative sentiment towards the french uh, was translated to a negative sentiment towards the governments that cooperated with the French. And therefore, we are seeing now um, the wave of coups uh, uh, across the Sahel region. Um, so in a way, you could say that intervention, that Operation Barkhane and, and other other uh, uh, other city operation that were read, led um, by the French were the reason for uh, this polarization and fragmentation war that we are seeing in Africa at this moment. Interesting. In And in what ways do cultural differences and local uh, regional dynamics, I would say, influence the effectiveness of foreign counterterrorism operations in African countries? Um, so in Africa, cultural cultural norms, beliefs, and 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 practices um, far, vary widely across the continent uh, and sometimes from a village to a village. Um, so it's e it's very easy to come across as ignorant uh, when it comes to uh, understanding local customs and traditions uh, of some communities. Um, foreign forces in general, uh, not just in the Sahel, need to be more sensitive to local customs and traditions uh, to avoid um, offending or alienating the local population, but also to get support from these communities who provide valuable intelligence uh, for effective for effective city operations. Um, when it comes to foreign intervention in the Sahel and war specifically uh, in Mali, um, I could say that the French failed in communicating to the people the importance of uh, the city operations that they are conducting or were conducting now that the operation has ended. Um, so the French communication uh, channels and, 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 and strategies were aiming or, or targeted towards uh, the French people or the international audience or French speakers specifically. Um, rather than uh, the people uh, of Mali, the locals in these regions. Um, so I I remember even the statements that the French uh, used to issue was in in uh, in in French, uh, although in Menaka and Gao specifically, where Operation Barkhane uh, used to operate. Um, extensively, um, a lot of these communities speak uh, uh, Tamashq, which is the Tuareg language, or Arabic. So in a way, uh, uh, Operation Barkhane distanced itself from the people, uh, especially sub-Saharan ethnicities, uh, um, uh, who, who, the, who, were, who felt that they were cut out from these communications channels. So the French did not... The, the French operation did not try to reach out to, to the locals or even speak their language or even think about communication strategies to show them how important their presence is. Um, while on the other hand, for example, um, we see uh, jihadis and terrorists um, claiming attacks or even preparing attacks uh, using 
posting uh, voice notes, uh, voice notes messages uh, uh, on WhatsApp in 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 sub-Saharan uh, uh, um, sub-Saharan languages or Arabic, so languages that are close to the people that people can understand. Um, so you could say that in a way that um, every party was speaking a different language and um, and Mali for for like a long. Uh, a period of time was uh, was feeling like a, a small uh, Babylon, where each uh, each party has their own language, um, and I think uh, this is one of the reasons why the coup leaders in Mali, uh, uh, and um, Asimi Goita, who is the president now, Colonel Asimi Goita, decided to make uh, Dogon, yes. which is a sub-Saharan uh, African. Um, language and of an official language to the country so it's a sort it's sort of like um um a move to say that uh we are going beyond the french language and we're we are becoming uh more concentrated on our uh, national identity um and i'll give you an example about how detached operation parkan was from the locals so uh, as you probably know uh, the French convinced uh, European countries, nine, I think nine European countries, uh, yes. of being involved in a CT operation called the Tacuba Task Force. So Tacuba is actually a uh, war... Just, just, uh, just so, uh, sorry for interfering. Uh, so Aman, uh, if you use the word counterterrorism, uh, it would be great because we have an audience uh, from space industry as well. Uh, because you know oh, yes, they course. are generally not yeah they are generally not actually familiar with the uh, short of forms course, or you know course, abbreviations uh, so it would be great if you can just use the word counterterrorism uh, generally you no know, just okay. to make them you know understand uh, as they are not you know so much familiar the audience in the defense of course they are familiar with the counterterrorism uh, word uh, so yeah that okay, that's okay. the only thing i wanted to tell yeah yeah um, please okay i'm going to start yes. from the example then um, yes to rephrase it okay um, so I'll give you an example on the um, uh, detachment of the French from the locals. Uh, so um, uh, the French uh, have convinced uh, nine uh, European countries of uh, uh, joining in counterterrorism operations in uh, yes. Mali under the name Takuba Task Force. And Takuba is uh, is a word is a word in Tamashq in the Tuareg language that means uh, a saber or, or a sword. Uh, and there was a huge backlash from uh, the Tuareg community for using Takuba um, um, as a name of, of the operation. So they were the French war were accused of appropriating cultures, for example. Uh, so so what I'm trying to say is that the French did not uh, were not able to understand the local communities and therefore they pushed themselves further away and were viewed uh, by the end of the operation as an occupying operation rather than an operation uh, that aims to stabilize uh, Mali. Um, also, um, the French were not did not have like a deep understanding of the reasons behind uh, uh, that's the spread of terrorism and jihadism in the Sahel um, and um, how it's linked to to communal issues 
Um, therefore, for example, they stood against uh, opportunities uh, for the Malian government to enter a dialogue with uh, Al-Qaeda uh, in Mali and its branch, uh, Jamaat Nusrat al-Islam al-Muslimin or Jainam. Uh, so they missed, because the French were against that dialogue, um, the Malian government missed that opportunity to enter dialogue with the jihadis. Um, and um, to tell you like a bit about how Al-Qaeda uh, operate in Mali, Al-Qaeda is actually very, very embedded in the communities. Most of Al-Qaeda leaders uh, are... Um, belong to 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 nobles uh, of the Tuaregs or belong to uh, um, prominent uh, 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 Arab Arab uh, tribes so they're very uh, embedded and they're all also sometimes very uh, respected so you can't really um, eradicate terrorism and jihadism without um um, when it's really embedded in that in the community, when 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 uh, when actually it is not uh, frowned upon, when jihadism or jihadism is not frowned upon in these communities, but the alternative to that is to actually engage in dialogue and try to work on the reasons that pushed uh, uh, these uh, uh, people into uh, jihadism. So this is one of like uh, some of the points that I think um, um, the 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 uh, like the French could have could have understood better for more effective uh, counterterrorism efforts. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.